1: Get IXL now and listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price.
2: Hello kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and every Thursday we release these special episodes where we look back at content from our earlier years. Sometimes single stories, sometimes whole episodes. Keep in mind that years ago, people might have worded things differently than they would today. As always, the title of the whole series, Risk, is itself a content warning. This week, an episode that first premiered in December of 2011, it's an episode we call The Family. hello kids this is risk the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share i'm kevin allison and if i sound a little odd it's because i'm not in my booth i'm in my bed i am bedridden i have had what i think may be the worst week ever and uh, i can't tell that story now but i can assure you i will soon Up top, we had Wormburner with John Sondericker. And you know what? We're going to go with that every time now. We're just going to open with that one every time. How's that sound? We've had a lot of wonderful little risk ditties up at the top of the show. I'm sure we'll keep revisiting many of them many a time. But I started to get a hankering to hear the same thing at the top of the show. So we're going to give that a shot. This is Yacht behind me now. And our focus today is on family. We have three stories from recent live shows that hit on the subject of family. And it's such a family time of year. Time of year that we're distinctly reminded just how fascinating or frightening (laughs) members of our families can be. We're going to start with a young lady who... uh, She took my sketch comedy class many, many a year ago. And she has risen so high since then. It's so inspiring to watch a person create a career. And Sarah is doing a beautiful job of it. She has the book Agora Fabulous coming out soon. And she has the podcast Sex and Other Human Activities. This is Sarah Benincasa. Here she is at the Risk Live show in New York with a story we call The Grand Canyon.
0: If you ever happen to find yourself discussing pussy beside a corpse, you'll find the experience is less sexy than spooky and you might also find it a little gross. We were at a funeral home. The pussy in question did not belong to my aunt, but the corpse did in as much as she was still capable of owning anything in her post alive state. She was dead. She was my great aunt, so my dead grandfather's now dead sister. One of, uh, of several, one of nine actually. The funeral home that we were at, by we of course I mean my huge extended Catholic family, big uh, Italian slash Sicilian different things family, was at the... <laughs> The Bon Jovi Funeral Home in Raritan, New Jersey, which is a real place, and yes, his family owns it. His real name is spelled all one word B O N G I O V I. He changed it, I guess de ethnicized it, so that it would go over better with 80s mall hair chicks. But the Bon Jovi Funeral Home is a real place. It's right off Route 202 by the Somerville Circle, and it's a good time. (laughs) The Bon Jovi Funeral Home is where everyone on my mother's side of the family goes for a wake or a funeral. On the inside, uh, it it looks a lot different than it does on the outside. The exterior looks like sort of a a 1950s clapboard, looking pretty humble uh, two-story home. The interior is pink, different shades of pink. There's a carpet that's dark pink with some pale pink roses. The wallpaper is pale pink with fuchsia roses. There are gilt sconces on the wall upon which are mounted flickering faux candles. And then there is John Bon Jovi's cousin, Angie Bon Jovi, (laughs) who is the funeral directress and uh, has big titties and puts them on display along with the corpse. Uh, she has very long French manicured nails to indicate that she is sophisticated. <laughs> and above her huge titties is always a cross to show that she is uh, one with God. And so there's a lot of big hair. I'm not saying she looks like Snooky, but I'm saying she looks like Snooky. <laughs> So that's who takes care of the dead in our family. And I was there at Bon Jovi funeral home for the funeral of my aunt who was a really, my great aunt who was a very cool lady and a lot of folks were there. And one of the folks who was there was my great uncle-in-law, Tom. I call him my great uncle-in-law because he was the roommate of my great uncle Tommy. In retrospect, I don't know if they were gay or just narcissistic because they were both named Thomas. (laughs) Tommy and Tom met in the branch of the military that's reserved for faggotry, which is the Navy. (laughs) And they were together for 35 years. And they worked together for 30 years at the same factory and Tom was a really cool guy, my great uncle-in-law Tom was really awesome. And uh, we never called him husband or partner really of my great uncle Tommy because they weren't that type of gay. They weren't the your modern type of gay, the young ones who they walk around and they got the clothes on and they look good and they think that they should have a, a, a right to say what they want to say. They're not the type of gay that marched in any kind of parade. They would have been the type of gay that very quietly and politely said, yes, officer, um, I'm sorry for disturbing the peace and like left Stonewall very politely that evening <laughs> while the queens threw things. They were uh, quiet, they were religious, they were Catholic, and they loved each other very much, uh, but they kept a fake bedroom, and they never I've never heard them uh, utter the word gay, even. So it was just sort of like they were friends. And so it was Tom and Tommy who were friends, and and like friends do, they, uh, you know, they went to Hollywood to do the tours of the Star's house, and they went antiquing in Connecticut, like you do with your bro. (laughs) And and they also worked together somewhere, and uh, the place where they worked was a birth control factory. Some families are are, are in the the cobbling business, you know, they make shoes, some are coopers, they make barrels, but uh, my family's sort of medieval guild type trade was birth control. My dad uh, ran the factory, and my great-uncle Tommy and my great-uncle Tom worked at the factory, and, uh, well, uh, they made other things besides birth control. You had your oral contraceptives, you had your, uh, your, your antifungal vaginal cream, <laughs> um, and you had your diaphragms. And uh, so my my great-uncle Tommy was in yeast infections, and my great-uncle Tom was in diaphragms. Now, diaphragms aren't in fashion anymore. They are a barrier method of contraception used mainly by ladies who've had lots of babies and who believe that taking a pill to prevent the sperm from getting to the egg is an abortion. So they're um, enjoyed by crazy people and people who don't tolerate hormones well. A diaphragm looks kind of like a, like this, it's different sizes, and it's um, a, a flexible, kind of like a, a Nuva ring wearing a cape. Um, <laughs> it's a flexible outer ring, and then you've got some rubber in between, and it, and it fits there over the cervix, and everyone's happy. So, uh, Uncle Tom, my great uncle Tom, said to me as we're just making chit chat and small talk. He says, "So, sir, how's comedy going?" Because even though he is a homo, um, he's still a Guido. So, <laughs> I say, "Comedy's going well," and all this, and he goes, "Hey, I got jokes for you. I got jokes," and I'm like, "Please tell me the jokes." My great aunt is dead, not five feet away. I believe someone is going to try and climb into the box which is a Sicilian tradition. Uh, I don't know what it is about that area of the world but there's something about it that says why not try to climb into the coffin? That'll make the person come alive again. I'm not saying that Sicilians are necromancers. I'm just saying we're necromancers. So,
3: um, Uncle Tom goes, you know, (laughs) We used to have jokes down at the factory. We used to call the diaphragms. We had we had names for them, and I said, "Uh, "Continue, please." (laughs) He said, "Well, the real little ones, you know, they were like the size of a quarter. So we called those the prom night." Oh, (laughs) yes, go on. And oh, then we had the next size up, you know, which was like, uh, that was like a little bigger. That was like, uh, you know, for like, we called that the honeymoon. I get
0: it? It's like the honeymoon because it's a little bit bigger. Yes, I get it. This is awesome. Never stop telling this story. <laughs> what was the next size called?
3: Well, the next size was like the regular size. What was it called? Well, we called it like normal or
0: like the regular <laughs> or the regulars and normals, depending on the day. And uh, okay, wow, all right, so that's three sizes. Uh, That's pretty crazy. No,
3: no, there's four sizes. The biggest size was like huge and we special made it and we only gave it out like three times a year. We get a special order for this. I mean, it was huge, it was huge. And we called it the Grand Canyon.
0: And he's Italian, so he's actually making these noises. This isn't just for effect, this is real. And there's a dead lady right there, right there. And then he tells me more. He says,
3: the big ones are crazy, right? Like, so the big ones, we used to take them out. And uh, we'd, we'd bring like the samples, you know, at the, the company picnics and stuff. Your father used to do this too. It was funny. He won't tell you, but it was funny. Uh, we used to flip it around like a frisbee. We'd flip it around like a frisbee. And when we get a few beers on us, we'd flip it around like a frisbee. And we worked with this one Jewish guy. He used to put it on his head and he called it one of their like, what are they called? Yarmulkes. It was like a yarmulke, like a freaking yarmulke. And he'd wear it on his head. Oh, it was crazy. We had some times. We had some times.
0: She looks good. (laughs) A priest appeared at that moment. He was an Irish priest, and he said, I would like it if everyone could sit down, because we'd all like to take a moment to honor our dear departed sister, Immaculata, which was her name. (laughs) And I sat down next to Uncle Tom, and I said, Uncle Tom? She what happened? The samples, did you end up selling those? And he said, no, of course not. That would be against FDA regulations. We would never do that. And I said, good. Uh, a few years later, Uncle Tom got really sick. He had liver cancer. And that's an interesting cancer to have because you turn colors, you turn yellow. It's a kind of like a hep C sort of situation. And um, so you turn a sort of weird ochre color, if you will, a yellow ochre. I went to go see him because of course the whole family went to go see Tommy's roommate in the hospital Tommy's roommate who had been to all of our birthday parties Tommy's roommate who had been to all of our christenings, Tommy's roommate who had been to all of our Christmases Tommy's roommate who used to decorate Tommy and Tom's house when they uh, had their big Christmas party with the Dickens Village with the little guys skating on the little mechanical ice rink and the big Christmas tree and the platters full of all kinds of cheese and the walls covered covered in framed photographs of dead people who they didn't know but just were pretty. They were into pretty Victorian ladies. Anyway, <laughs> I went to, to go see him and we brought lasagna and Tupperware because that's what you do. And, uh, and he couldn't eat it and so we sat down next to Tommy and, and Tom was sitting there and he was real sick and, and, and we, we were chatting with him real quietly and leaning close so he could hear and he had gotten sick really quickly he'd been in the hospital for a few days but it was looking pretty bad and uh, I looked at him I said you know Tom like I really hope you feel better and he said Sir, I got one for you <laughs> I said one what he said the Grand Canyon. I got one. I found I went home after the funeral. You remember the funeral? I'm like, yes, I do. <laughs> I have been telling people about it for years. I went home. I found a sample I had. They gave me when I retired as a joke present, and I have it, and it's in my desk, and I want you to have it. That's for, that's for you. That's yours.
4: <laughs>
0: Don't let nobody else take it. And I said, Thank you, Tom. And that was the last time I saw him alive. Thank you very much.
5: Good night, Mama. night, Dan. Good night, everyone. Good
4: night, Mama.
5: Hi, Daddy. Good night, children. Good night, Dad. Good night, Liz. Good night,
4: Timba. Good night, Mama. night, Dan. Good night,
5: everyone. Good night, Mama. Hi, Daddy. Good night, children. Good night, Dad. Good night, Liz.
2: This is risk a collage by Jeff Barr there and uh, this is Lee Rosevere behind me now our next story is a real doozy it came from our Los Angeles show this is Curtis Gwynn it's odd that I have never met Curtis uh, because we have worked with so many of the the same people Curtis has produced uh, two amazing series for adult swim fat guy stuck in internet and uh, the series called S D S U V. he works on that series with Paul Scheer. But Kurt has also created one of the fundamental storytelling shows in New York City, Nights of Our Lives, at the UCB Theater. And here he is at the Risk show that we do in Los Angeles at the Nerd Melt Theater with a remarkable story we call Now You Know.
6: I'm gonna tell you guys a, uh, a Thanksgiving story since it is Thanksgiving week. And it's a family story, and to preface it, I, I just feel I have to give you a little backstory, explain a little bit about my family. I'm from New England, I'm from Connecticut. Connecticut's kind of a nothing state. Is anyone here from Connecticut? Never. I've been in Connecticut, asked that question, people are like, no, we're just <laughs> driving through to Boston. We don't want to be to Boston. It's, yeah, it's a terrible place. And, uh, my, I grew up with my brother my father. My mother left from a very young age. I was five years old. She disappeared. Uh, she didn't disappear. She moved. She, that sounds like there was murder or something. She didn't get murdered. She, she left. And so it was my brother and I raised by my father uh, in, in Connecticut. And my father was, I just want to ex- describe him a little bit. He's a crazy person, uh, most definitely. And he just was, he wasn't equipped to be, A proper father, really. He had a very laissez-faire attitude about everything, and he had a weird relationship to women because he didn't have any relationship to women. And so he would, he would say, like you know, he just didn't know how to be like. He didn't have the mothering instinct at all. So he would let us watch any movie, any movie, any movie we wanted to watch. He would. So my brother, who's my my older brother, Chris, he was like nine, and I was like five. My brother, he wanted to watch like The Exorcist. And my dad would be like, sure, put on the exorcist. And we go, we get the exorcist, we put the exorcist on. It would get to these horrific parts where she's, she's just fucking a crucifix and spitting blood. And my dad would go, oh, this is too much for me. And he'd leave the room. <laughs> he'd go. <laughs> and it's like, no, not, not for me. This movie's not for me. I don't like it. I don't like this. <laughs> so. Or we'd be like, oh my God, so my whole perception of life is all fucked up. I mean, and, and you know, and in, the summer, in the summer times in Connecticut, there's a lot of weddings, outdoor weddings, and people are always coming out of churches. And so, like, when I drive around with my dad, or the both of us, me and my brother Chris, we drive around. He, he would be in the front, you know, he'd drive in and he'd have a beer kind of cocked right here, like between his legs in the summertime. If we passed the church where a wedding or a synagogue or anywhere where the wedding, if if the procession was coming out, he would slow down, roll down the window, and go, You'll be sorry, and then look to his six-year-old son, me, and go, Right? Like, right? Like you like, this guy knows what I'm talking about over here, <laughs> six-year-old child. <laughs> And so that's how we were raised. And, and so we're all fucked up. And, and my brother, my older brother, God bless him. I, I, I hope he doesn't listen to this. Um, he's, I mean, I love him. He's, he's a great guy. But, you know, he's the older brother. And so he was obligated, I think, to, like, you know, kick the shit out of me all the time. He's the older brother. So we'd get in fights. And there was no contest. He's got the psychological advantage, bigger, stronger, always knock the shit out of me, whatever. We'd always get into fights. And he was always, like, teaching weird lessons that made no sense. Like, I remember very early on, he's like, let's catch frogs. Let's catch frogs. So I was like, great, great, great. We caught frogs. I was like, look it, I caught a frog. He goes, great. He took my hand and he made me crush it to death. And he went, now you know. <laughs> I was like, now I know what? <laughs> You're a terrible person. I was like crying. Like, no, no, no. I, I'm like, I was a sensitive kid. So I was just like, no, don't let me take a life not this way. And he just squeezed down. He's like, now you know, now you know. It's not that, now you know. And in a way, I guess I understand it, but it seems so like, 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 like tribal village. Like you're becoming a man. Like they take the little boys out of the village. like, make them like hack an animal apart, eat its heart and drink blood. And they're like, now you know. Now you're a man amongst the village or whatever. So that's the kind of relationship we had. And my bro- my father just didn't, you know, he'd be like, it's fine. It's fine. My father was like, oh, it's fine. It's fine. He's fine. Your kids are fine. He kind of let my brother sort of police the situation. With a nine-year-old, you can't do that with a 9 year five-year-old. And I distinctly remember once we were kind of roughhousing. My brother's like, come upstairs. Come upstairs. We're going to jump up and down on dad's bed. And I make him sound like he was like a fucking... S- sopranos mobster at nine. I don't mean, <laughs> he didn't sound like that. He was like, let's go upstairs and like, play on a bed. And we went up there, we're hopping up and down on this bed. And then he's just kind of like staring at me as we're hopping up and down. And he got like dead look. And I was like five. I'm like, what's going on? And then he just, boom, like tossed me. Like mid-flight, I hit the ground and I break, my leg breaks. I hear, <laughs> I can hear my leg just break. And I'm like, oh, screaming, screaming, screaming. My father's downstairs like, God Damn this. I could hear him going, like, oh, son of a bitch. You got a motherfucker. Coming up the stairs. Boom, 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 boom. He comes in. He goes, what the hell happened to you to me? What the hell happened to you? What hell happened to you? And my, and my brother shot me a look, like, shut the fuck up. He turned to my dad. He goes, he fell off the bed. And then he looked back at me. <laughs> and I was like, he's like, is that what happened? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, OK, OK, you kids. You kids have fun. You know, I'm like, wait, I, gotta, I do have a broken leg. I do need to go to a hospital, by the way. So we continued on this way now there's so much more fucked up shit I don't have the time to tell you everything that happened in between now and the main meat of this story but you know we 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 eventually became we were homeless we were homeless kids my dad's insane we lost our house we were like kids on the street my brother to get away joined the military joined the army to get away now he didn't need any more training in how to be a murderous insane person <laughs> but they went and they, he did it and uh, he went off there and uh, he was a great musician. I wanna, he was a really, really terrific musician, and I always looked up to him no matter what, and I wanted to be a musician like he was. He was a great guitar player. He won like, grants in Connecticut, he won these awards, like, gifted in town, guitar player. So I wanted to be like that too. So when he went away, I got his guitars, and I like, taught myself how to play guitar as like a teenager, and I just wanted to be like him. you know. And after four years, he came back home, out of the military, and we moved in together. In Canada, I was out of work. I was like out of school. I dropped out of college. I had nowhere to go. So we got an apartment. He kind of like, was like, I was living with my dad in some weird trailer. He's like, nah, 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 fuck that. We got an apartment and we got kind of set up. It was still all fucked up. It was terrible. We got an apartment. And he's like, we're going to be in a band. We're going to be in a band. You're going to be the bass player of the band. I'm going to be the band. We're going to be huge. And we had these delusions of grandeur that we we're going to be some huge, huge rock band. And we we're living in Connecticut and uh, in this shitbox apartment. So I was excited to have him home, but I didn't what realized though it was like it would just immediately go back to being like we were children. We started having fist fights on a weekly ba- I mean just almost daily basis. Fist fights constantly. And, and I was bigger and older, but I was still kind of like I was like a liberal. I don't know. He was like, I guess we were both politically liberal, but I was spiritually liberal, so he could easily just like knock me around and everything. I'd be like, I don't want to fight. And your brother, pretty much, if you, I don't know if anybody in here has ever fought with your, physically fought with a family member. Your brother and your father are pretty much the only people you'll ever physically fight with where you'll cry while you're punching them <laughs> and tell them that you love them while you're like beating them. And they're like, I fucking love you, you son sort of a bitch, like fuck you! Boom, oh, I mean, you're it's like punching the shit out of each other while you extol your love for, for one another. So that was like, we would get just drunk, we'd get super, super drunk, and it would always, and another thing with siblings is, they just know how to piss you off, a person you meet in life might say, you're a fucking asshole, and you're like, get mad at them or whatever, but your bro, and they could call you every name in the book, my brother could just look at me and be like, I don't like your coat. And be like you fucking piece, and we just you go at it. You just immediately meet each other like in the middle of the room, like that's great. It's not fucking great. And you go crazy because they just know you just you just you have a shared experience. You had nobody to take it out on except one another. So all the insanity of family, you, can, you just the dad's out of the picture and everything. So you just go at one another. So at one point, my brother's like, "Listen, we're going to move and we're going to join a band on the we're going to form a band on the West Coast." So I'm like 20 years old or whatever. So we move off to the West Coast. Same things are going on. I mean, we're just fighting the whole time, fist fighting and and getting drunk. And we get in these, our housemates, we kept losing housemates and bandmates. And we couldn't understand. We thought it was everybody else. We're like, what's wrong with these assholes? And it's like, you know, we would fist fight at band practice. We'd be like, you know, like laying down tracks in the studio, (laughs) like playing bass. And then we'd be like, you're not playing bass, right? You're not playing guitar. We'd fucking fight. And the drummer would be like, Oh, like, what the fuck is this all about, you know? And then my brother would get punched in the face. I'd be crying, and then I'd be like, let's go finish those tracks. Let's go go lay down those fucking bass tracks, man. (laughs) So, you know, it's fucked up. And you say terrible things to family. Not everybody. You people probably have lovely families. You don't say terrible things at all. But when you really grew up in a fucked-up environment and and the, they're the only person who knows like Stockholm syndrome, you've been brainwashed, that's reality. you know you, like I remember getting in front of my brother so dramatic, like out a fucking like gossip girl or something She's just like like I fucking hate you. I've never loved you. I never. And he goes and I'd be like, you, "You're saying that to me now? Remember you said that. Remember you said it. I'll remember it too and I'm in bed in a grave and in heaven I'll tell you, I never loved you. I mean the insanity. <laughs> It, it, it supposes there is a heaven, which is kind of hopeful. Uh, <laughs> so we're there a couple years. These bands are a bomb. We never take off. Like, nothing is working. Nothing. The band's not working. We're just fighting. And we're out here in a couple years. And we decide, well, you know, it's kind of it. We don't like each other, clearly. This band's not working now. <laughs> And it seemed like such a surefire plan, too, the rock band thing. Uh, <laughs> uh, and so we, we're, we knew we were coming home. We decided we were going to come back to the East Coast, go back to the East Coast and back to Connecticut, and unsure what was going to happen from there. Not live with each other anymore, break, break apart. It was the, not just a band breaking up. It was like our family, the last vestige of our family kind of like splitting apart. And so it was um, Thanksgiving Day, no, no, it was the night before Thanksgiving. Night before Thanksgiving, we went out and we just we got super, super drunk. This is the 90s. So it was pretty grunge. We were pretty grunge, <laughs> like grunge guys, you know, with flannels and long hair and everything. I was like 100 pounds thinner and it was pretty good. And uh, so we were out on the town getting, getting super, super, super drunk and we're at some bar. And I think he just like, we probably said something to each other like, hey, man. I'm tired. Oh, yeah, fuck you. And we just got into it at a bar. It was something innocuous. We started fighting with each other. Now, and we decided we're going gonna to leave. I, like, huffed out. He, he huffed out the door. And uh, I was like, I'm going to walk home, man. I said to him, well, we lived, like, 100 miles away from this bar. I don't know what the fuck I was thinking, but I was making a drunken stand. I'm not going to fucking walk home. He said, go ahead and walk home. I have the car, but Whatever. So I start walking, and then this group, of, I start noticing there's this group of kids like across the street, and I say kids, they weren't toddlers, they were like teenagers across the street, really late at night. And I'm walking, and they're walking, and they're checking me out, and I'm like, ah, oh, the fuck's going on, I feel like something's gonna happen here. And then one of the kids yells across the street, hey man, you're a fucking racist. Now I had never seen these kids before, I don't know who they were, And I think most people's natural reaction would be, what are you talking about? But again, spiritually liberal, my first thought was, am I? (laughs) Like, Like, am I fucking racist? Like, the t- situation was dangerous. And I was like, maybe I fucked on some subconscious level. No matter how much I deny it, I'm still born into this society. You get raised in certain ways. And you just have perceptions. You can't help it. It's knee-jerk reactions to situations and everything like that. And so this group of kids came over. And there was, like, a couple... They were, like, Latino kids. And um, and they were kind of s- fucking with me a little bit. And... and uh Uh, so my brother, God bless him. He comes whipping around with the car and these kids kind of back away. So I'm like, Oh, thank God. Let's get the fuck. Let's get out of here. My brother's like, no, 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 I'm not getting out of here. (laughs) And, uh, uh, I'm like, no, 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 no. Let's get out of here. So we get in the car and then one kid says, and they're like SUV. Now these were not, it turned out these were not poor kids. These were like kids from the suburb who came into the city to like fight or something i don't know because they had like a beautiful suv and they're like 17 years old so they're just there and and one of the kids says as we're i'm like convincing i finally convinced my brother to get the fuck out of here and one kid goes you better go because i'm gonna get my gun and my brother goes okay and gets out of the car and goes well you better have a gun because i'm a gonna come over there and kick the shit out of you. And he started walking towards the kid. He goes, oh no, he didn't have a gun. And he starts running to his car, and my brother drags him out of the fucking car and starts beating this kid. And I'm like, oh my god, oh my god, what's happening? And all these other kids are swarming around, him. he's just knocking them off like they're fucking nothing. And he's, so I run up to my brother and I grab him. He's got this kid. This kid's screaming, "Let me go! Let me go!" And I'm like, "We gotta go, Chris! 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 Come on! Come on! Let's get the fuck out of here!" What are you talking about? And some kid taps me on the shoulder, and I turn around and a tire iron goes bang right here into my face. Just explodes my face. It just just shatters on impact. It splits open, and later you could see like the, to the muscle in my cheek and everything. I just went, exploded out. And I went, oh, well I didn't know what happened. I was stunned, and then he hit me again up here. I have a huge scar up through the side of my head. He just went, bang, again. Now, I've been drinking, so I kind of absorbed both those shots, and then I reared back, and I fucking threw one pump. I was like, this is it. For all, for everything. <laughs> Here's the one. <laughs> I reared back and I went bang! And my hand shattered like a bag of glass. (laughs) I just exploded. Shut <laughs> like, oh and the kid was like, oh, like, why'd you do that? Like, why'd you hit me in the face? And I was just like, oh no, oh no. So my brother's kind of fighting all these kids off. I was like, get the fuck out of here! Get the fuck out of here. And they're all kind of running away. Then a kid pulled up in another car, one of their friends we didn't see, and he hopped out of the car and said, like, You wanna step to me, you wanna step to me? And my brother turned around and bang! One punch, the kid went boom, and ran back to his car and left his friends there. It's like get the fuck out of here. So I was like, Chris, we gotta go, we gotta go. Now the tire iron kid was still there. I My brother's I like, we're not going anywhere. It's a tire iron kid. And he started walking towards him, and the tire iron kid's going, like, get away, get away, get away. I My brother's I like, don't bo- don't bother with that. You're gonna die tonight. Like, just like, like you're gonna die. Don't bother begging for anything. There's no mercy here. There's no mercy for you. So just accept your shit and you're gonna fucking die. I'm like, and for a split second. For like a split second, I was like, "He's gonna fucking kill that guy." And I'll, I'll be honest, I was like, "My brother loves me. My brother fucking loves me. He's gonna kill this fucking guy for me." And for a moment, I was like, "Let's d- d- no, he can't kill a person. He can't, guys." Of course, let's get the fuck out of here. Let's go, let's go, let's go. He grabs me, you know, and then we get in the we get in our car. As we're driving away, a fucking cinder block comes through the back through the window of the car, blows it out. Now it's, it's Thanksgiving morning at this point, it's light out, we're driving back, and I'm sitting there, and I am just pouring blood out of my face. My hand is twisted in so many different directions, and my shirt is just, blood is just poured here, my left eye had filled with blood, so that you could, all you could see was like the, the dot in the center and then red all in the eye. And I was like, I think I got to go to the hospital. He's like, well, hospital. Like, we'll go home in the morning. If you're still feeling bad, go we'll go to the hospital. I was like, it's not feeling bad. I am not have the fucking, I don't have a cold. And he's like, okay, okay, we'll take you in the morning. So we're driving a lot. Now I'm looking at him. He does not have a scratch. He is pristine. <laughs> he's got not a drop of blood on him, no black eye. His hands are fine. He's just casually driving. He flicks on the radio. I'm like, what? He's, a, he's like Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> he's got his is p- just like, boop, just fine, just going home, whatever. So we're driving. We get to a stoplight, and a cop car is, pulls up behind us. And we're like two blocks from our house. And this, obviously the cops see the back window smashed out. So the cop car pulls up alongside us and he gives us the, you know, roll down your window. My brother rolls down the window. And he goes, what's going on? What happened to your, this cop's like, what happened to your window? He's like, "Ah, uh, got back to our car. Somebody smashed it out. And then this cop sees me. <laughs> <laughs> Just a fucking ruined face. And the cop goes, what happened to him? And I kid you not, I shit you not. Before I could answer, he put his arm across from me. He goes, he fell off a chair.
4: <laughs>
6: and the and the cop went, okay, and drove and drove away. Thanks a lot, everybody.
2: This is Jason Collett, a song called Got the Glory. And for our last story of the show today, the great actress Lily Taylor returns to the show. A remarkable woman with a remarkable legacy of work behind her. We call this story, It's Not Then, It's Now.
7: So my dad was um, a really bad manic depressive. Um, he was a great guy. He loved people. He loved jokes. Um, in many ways, he was the tonic-centric. But he also suffered from manic depression, which is a hell of a disease. E- There's people that go on the, the depressive side of it or on the mania side of it. And dad. My dad went on the the mania side. The manic flights—they'd last weeks. They were high. He spent money. He he bought cars. He bought houses. He bought uh, grand pianos for people we didn't know. Um, He had lots of projects. Uh, He had invented. um, He got a patent for a fifth leg to the walker. He was convinced that. Many people fell on the walker, it tipped over, and he was convinced he could prevent many hip accidents with this fifth fifth leg, got a patent. So he was busy. Um, so, you know, he'd been in and out of hospitals all my life. And um, the story that comes to mind, I was in high school, so now we're, we're 15 years into this cycle of hospitalizations, and the family's getting worn out. I think my dad is too, but we... It's taking a toll, because the manic flights—it's—it's it's almost they're almost contagious. You almost start to feel crazy. So he was on a manic flight at this point, and, you know, everybody was just on eggshells, tender hooks. You don't know what the hell is going to happen when you come in. The energy's so high, you're just kind of, you know, flying around with him. And so anyway, I um, was at school one day, and I had a fever. I left school early, I come home, my mom wasn't there, she was working, and the house didn't feel right. Well, my dad wasn't there, which was, he didn't work, so why isn't he here, the one car is gone. Um, he's Okay, I just saw something out the window. I just saw a man run by without any pants on. I have a feeling, I have a feeling dad's outside. I go outside. And it's him. He's across the street. He has a Fruit of the Loom underpants, a Fruit of the Loom white t shirt, and a tweed jacket. He's, he's touching the, uh, the front step to the neighbor's house. The thing with this kind of illness is you just don't know what mood they're in. Is he going to be angry? Is he going to be, what's he going to do? I don't know. I chose the tactic of calm and sort of understated uh dad dad what are you doing uh, I'm in a, i am in it's a very very important race i'm i've got to touch the first three steps of everybody's house it's very important please would you would you just let me do this so i, I don't know what he's talking about race I, it's, he's he's gone he's gone and um He's so myopic about this, so focused. Uh, He doesn't seem to mind me. You know, I'm following him. We're at the second house now. He's at the step. I'm kind of just following. I think, okay, I've got to call my mom. Um, I didn't really want to leave him out there, but my mom knows how to handle my dad. By this point, they'd probably been married 35, 40 years. There were six kids. He, He let my mom in. He wouldn't really let the kids in when it came down to, like, what was really happening, but he would let my mom in. So I call my mom, and just say, get over fast. Dad, he's gone. So um, we're now at the sixth house and uh, I'm watching and finally the car pulls up the, the Cadillac that he had just bought. Uh, mom pulls up in the Cadillac um, and she said, um, hey, Park, um, I got some shrimp cocktail. Would you like to, uh, to join me for some lunch? Um, she chose the the food calming route <laughs> as the tactic. Shrimp cocktail was his favorite thing. He loved the lunches with my mom. He said, "Ah, that sounds wonderful." But I am in the I'm in the middle of this race, though. I can't. I, I I'd love to join you. Just I just gotta touch the first three steps of everybody's house. So just please, Marie, just let me. Uh. Okay. Well, why don't you just why don't you touch the the step to this house and then why don't you join me? Because I got to go back and. We'll have a little lunch. And so he did. He touched the step, and then he got into the car. I got into the back seat, and we drove the few yards to the driveway to our house. By that time, my dad's everything had changed. It's like he got the wind knocked out of him. He had um, sort of come to, in a way. And he looked down. He saw he didn't have any pants on. And he just, everything just started to go you know, and he just said, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not feeling so good. And Marie said, I know, I know you're not Park. And we went into the house and I followed my dad. I think my mom picked up the phone. She's probably calling the hospital. And, uh, I kept an eye on my dad. He put his pants on and I was watching him in his bedroom. He, he combed his hair. He slapped a little Bay rum on, you know, and tried to get a little dignity and came and sat on his black chair and just looked straight ahead. I sat on the couch, I just gave him some space, and, and then the paramedics, they knocked, my mom opened the door, uh, dad gets up, he's, you know, the paramedics were ready to, you know, little a little bit of wrestling, you know, and he said, no, I'm, I'm fine, I, I got this, thank you, thank you very much. So my mom and I, we watched him go out, and you know, it's like, you know, in one way we felt very relieved, he, he's going to a place that, that can help him, uh, his problems were way too big for us. Um, it, it's sad, of course. You know, it, He knew where he was going. I'm sure that didn't feel very good. We went and visited him that night and didn't know what we were going to expect because, you know, jacked up with Thorazine, doesn't know who we are, what, what, what's going to happen? He came out to the waiting room and just was like, um, sat down and seemed kind of present. No straight jacket, didn't seem too messed up with drugs and sat down and you know just said I uh I think it was pretty rotten that uh you guys called the paramedics and had me come into this shithole I think that's just pretty rotten He said okay you know that's all right it's okay um you know we we feel like you were you know a a danger to yourself and others but it's okay we understand and um you know he stayed angry for a while um he finally got out. The cycle repeated a few times. We finally did do an intervention, which is another story. Um, but the cycle was finally broken. He did. Um, he got the alcoholism and the manic depression got addressed, and you know he, he died a, a sober man, which was really great. Um, and so, you know, one of the effects that this had on me, growing up in that kind of heightened circumstance, was this fight or flight. Mechanism, you know, which was handy back then, you know, because I could kind of act fast, I could, um, I could deal, I could deal, and I could be vigilant, and, you know, boom. Um, not as useful now. Uh, it's it's uh, in not the <laughs> same circumstances, it's too hypervigilant, too. It's, um, well, it'll kill me early, basically being that that amped up is gonna it's gonna take some years off so you know it's finding ways to uh, take the breath realize you know it's not then it's now and um you know i can respond a lot of different ways in situations and i don't have to i don't have to fight or flight it thanks
2: all for now this is the genius andrew bird with a new song called dark matter folks today's the day take a risk
5: useless around another day is gone tide no matter what to do say you can shoot right through the rays of dark matter Just before they kick out They kick out the light